Today we're going to talk about the persecuted church. And, uh, you know, I've never, um, if we can get the, uh, the slides on the back to mirror the ones on the front for me. Um, you know, I've never, I, until recently, I never saw anyone die, like, not live, but, you know, on video as it, as it was happening. And I never saw that. Growing up, it was inconceivable that I even think that you could have that option, right? I mean, growing up, it's like, who, who would you ask for a V, who recorded the death, and, and what kind of VH, who do you have to ask at the VHS tape of that thing? Like, it never even occurred to me. And then as technology has advanced and things like that, like, I've seen people die all the time now. You know, I was watching a video the other day of uh, someone who got bombed in the Ukraine. It's just unreal what you can see now. And I remember the first time I saw anyone die. Um, and that was about six years ago, and it gave me quite a passion for the persecuted church. Uh, it was the ISIS beheading videos of Christians on a beach. And so I watched that video, and I started to get a passion for the persecuted church, and I started to look into what was happening. And, and six years ago, there was incredible persecution. You saw a mass beheading of 20 people in Libya. And they made a video, and it's called A Message Signed with Blood to the Nation of the Cross. And I know it's, it's, the church is not our nation. However, our nation has been overwhelmingly Christian. And Satan does not like that. And so you have Satan recognizing that our na- the nation of the cross, what an amazing thing if revival swept our nation and we were seen across the world that way by more people. A message signed with blood to the nation of the cross. They want to get rid of all things. This, this, these people, ISIS, these terrorists, they want to get rid of all things that are symbols of Christianity. And they recorded themselves with videos too, sweeping through the, the city of Nineveh, an ancient city, a biblical city. We talked about that city when you read the book of Jonah because that's who Jonah preached to and who repented at his word and was saved. It's incredible. There's tons of great Christian history in Nineveh because of Jonah and what he did in the Bible. If you want to look at the reality of the Bible, go look at the city of Nineveh, or you could have because there's Christian artifacts all over the city of Nineveh. Where did those come from? Well, they came, where, where do you think they came from? They came from Jonah, preaching in the word. And Isis went on to destroy museums and statues of ancient Nineveh's great rulers, treasures, smashing, drilling, crushing these ancient monuments into pebbles and recording them for the world to see. That same year, April 2nd, there was 147 unarmed teenage Christians shot by Islamic militants at a university in Kenya. And they went through, and they asked you if you're a Christian, and if you were, they shot you, much like happened in Columbine. 147 unarmed Christians were shot. On April 19th, there were... I think this one... There we go. I get, okay. On April 19th, there were dozens shot and beheaded. Another video of people dying in Libya. In the video, the man declared, you will not have safety even in your dreams, Christians. A dozen more Christians were overthrown by Muslims as they fled Libya and left to drown in the ocean. More than 10,000 Christians fled Libya during that short period of time. And over 125,000 Christians were forced to flee from Iraq during that year as well. 125,000 Christians. That's over 10 times 
the population of the city of Harrisonville. And I remember during that time, uh, just as the Jews were marked by Nazis, Christians were marked by the Islamists with the Arabic letter N. You might have remembered that. Do you remember there was a black background with a gold Arabic letter N, and people would put that in their profile picture uh, to support Christians? 125,000 Christians were forced to flee, and they would paint it on your home if you were a Christian. And you would have a choice. You could either pay a huge tax, you could convert to Islam, or die. This is in 2016. We're not talking about the Middle Ages. As I looked into it, I found that Christians were the most persecuted people on earth. 500 people were hacked to death by swords by Hindu radicals in India around that same time as well. There were 50,000 Christians that were forced to flee in India for being Christian. This is just all in the year 2016. When I looked into it, I found out 80% of all religious discrimination is against Christians. And what I found was 100,000 Christians die every year for being Christian. 10 times the population of Harrisonville dies every year for being Christian. And this is what the church has to deal with worldwide. It's hard to even know what to say about something like that. We started this series, if you want to open with your Bibles, we started this series looking at Matthew chapter 9. We looked at Matthew chapter 9, 35 through 38. It says, Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And we saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. And the harvest is a harvest of souls and salvation from Satan. As we've been reading the book of Revelation, we're looking at the, the uh, message of the harvest, the metaphor of the harvest, and it's about the judgment of God. Those who are saved are harvested to the Lord and to heaven. Those who are, uh, reject the Lord are harvested and judged and sent to hell. And there's this salvation that awaits in this harvest. And the harvest that he refers to, the harvest is of people who will believe the gospel. The harvest is plentiful, But the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord that he would send out laborers to the harvest. Jesus says there's lots of people. There's lots of people who will believe and be saved. What we need is for people to do the work of the Lord and go tell them. And if you don't have strong faith, or if your faith has waned, if it's weakened over time, if you once felt close to the Lord and you no longer do, I would check, first of all, I would check whether or not to see whether you've done the work of the Lord. If you've not done what God has said, if you've not gone where God has led you, that would explain why you don't have strong faith and are not passionate about the Lord today. In Matthew chapter, uh, at the end of Matthew, I think it's chapter 28, 30, he gives the Great Commission. He says, go, and I will be with you until the end of the age. God will be with us when we go because God's heart is to go. That's where God is leading. And if we're not following him, then of course we won't feel close to him. And if you want to know why your faith is weak, if you don't want to know why you're not passionate about your faith, why you're passionate about Jesus Christ, it's most likely because you are not following him. He's not near. 
because you are not doing the work. If you want him to be near, go do the work. There's almost nothing more encouraging to our faith than to try to spread the gospel. In that moment of trying to spread the gospel, you will feel a satanic attacks come against you. You will feel Satan making you feel ashamed, making you feel foolish, literally making you forget the gospel. I think it is the Lord's blessing to even intellectually understand the simple gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for our sins and rose from the grave for eternal life. When I grew up, I did not want to worship the Lord. I sat in church every Sunday. And by the time I was about 18 years old, I don't think I could have even told you that sentence. I was a smart kid. I was sitting in college taking organic chemistry. And yet I had sat in church every day and I wasn't even able to intellectually understand the idea that Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins and rose from the grave. I think to even understand anything, all of it is a gift from God. And he can remove that at any point. And as you go to speak the gospel, you will feel Satan coming against you. And as you go and spread the gospel, you will see the Lord showing up. And if you want the Lord to be near, then I encourage you to follow him. Because that's where you'll find him. He's sending people into the harvest. And he's looking to send us. And he's looking to send you. That's why he's asked for your help. He's put out an advertisement. Help wanted. Are you going to do the work of the Lord? And it turns out that for most people across the world today, this is an incredibly dangerous job. See, we've been confused in America. We thought that we had it rough. When I go to tell people about the Lord, they think I'm silly. And we thought that was difficult. When I go to tell people of the Lord, they don't think as highly of me as they did before. And we esteem what other people think of us way more than what God thinks of us. But when you have the love of the Lord, the love of the serfs doesn't compare. And yet we reject the love of the Lord and instead whore after the love of the people around us who don't know the Lord. That's what's really valuable to us. And so we don't spread the gospel. We don't tell people about Jesus because we don't think that they will like us as much as they did before. And here, people across the world and across time have taken the dangerous job of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ and they haven't encountered being lowered in, in the esteem of other people. Here's what happened to the people that Jesus sent out. James in 44 AD died from the sword. Peter was crucified upside down. Andrew was crucified. Thomas was burned alive. Philip was crucified. Matthew was beheaded. Nathaniel was flayed and then crucified. James was thrown from the temple. Simon was crucified. Thaddeus was beaten to death. Matthias was stoned. And the apostle Paul was beheaded. This verse, it says, he saw crowds. He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I don't think people understand what happens to sheep without a shepherd. The wolves ripped them apart. I've shared before, I showed a video of wolves ripping a sheep apart in church so you can get an idea of the image of what God is giving us because we don't see that a lot. Most people don't see that a lot. They aren't around animals. They aren't around death. They aren't around anything. They sit in an office all day on a computer. And we don't see that. The people in Jesus' day would have been well aware of what he's talking about. They would have seen this type of violence before. It's not a cartoon sheep and a cartoon wolf dropping an anvil on each other's head. It's brutal. They get ripped apart. I showed a video of this in church and had angry moms lining up afterwards saying, you can't show that in church. Our kids... So, women, 
Moms, I'd love for you to care as much about the lost as you do about your kids seeing a video of a sheep getting ripped apart. Where are your priorities? I've never preached a message on the lost and had the moms come up to me and say, other people's children, they're going to hell. I need to know what to do. How can I reach them? Our priorities are not where the Lord's priorities are. Jesus didn't have a problem giving an imagery of what happens to the lost apart from Jesus. They get ripped apart. They get shredded and they get sent to hell by the enemy. This is the war we're in. This is the war we're fighting. We care more about what our kids see. And sure, it might be inappropriate. It might be inappropriate to show. <laughs> I'm not saying. But I would love to see people care more about the lost than they do about that. So we're going to be reading in Matthew chapter 10, looking at this dangerous job that Jesus gives us. We're going to be starting in Matthew 10, verse 16. And it says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. What happened to his disciples? Not only did the lost get ripped apart, he allowed his disciples to get ripped apart. We're going to talk about that in a moment, about why he does that. Behold, I'm sending out a sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. And a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his master, and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? And so here we have Jesus warning his disciples and setting them out. You know, Peter they, has this discussion with the Lord. The Lord says, are you able to drink the cup that I drink? And Peter says, yes, I am. He has no idea what he's talking about. The cup is a metaphor for suffering. And Peter says, yes, Lord, I'm able to suffer as you are. But he has no idea how the Lord is going to suffer. And Jesus says, actually, it turns out you're right, Peter. When you're old, they will stretch out your hands and take you to where you don't want to go, which is a reference to his crucifixion. They'll stretch out your hands and take you to where you don't want to go. Jesus looked Peter in the eye and knowingly sent Peter out to his death. Did Jesus not care about Peter? Absolutely not. He loves Peter. As you're going to read in a moment, he loves Peter. Well, let's keep reading. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and that one of them will fall to the ground from your father? But even the hairs of your head are numbered. Now that fear not, therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. And the Lord loves Peter. The Lord loves his disciples. The Lord loves the people he sends out to die for him, knowingly knowing that they will die for him. The Lord willingly removes his protection 
from his disciples in the way that he allows Satan to send that evil and hatred into people so that they kill them. The Lord could stop them. He did at different points. He freed Peter from prison before. He could do it again. However, God has got such great love for the world, for those who don't know Jesus, for those that don't know him, that he allows Satan to do this to his followers as a witness to encourage other people to believe. The witness of the disciples is why we're here today. The witness of Peter is why we're here today. Peter doesn't die. And that's what the Lord encourages. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? The Lord knows you're far more valuable. The Lord knows every bird. He knows every one of us. He knows every unbeliever. He knows every follower of Jesus. He knows the suffering that he's asking people to go through. And not a single one of them are lost. The Lord won't forget a single one of them. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever dies, denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. And the Lord asks us to love him more than our own life. If we worship our own lives, if that's the most important thing, if we are our own God, then we will deny the Lord and it will be revealed that he was never number one in our life. God asks us to love him so much that we would love him more than our own lives. Why? Because he's worthy of that. That's how amazing God is. That is the truth. God is so amazing that he's worthy to die for. It's a little different situation, but over COVID, I had to sit there and I had to wonder what the risk was of people dying if I encouraged my church to meet. And I don't think we got to be legalistic. If there's a nuclear bomb headed our way or something like that, we can meet on a Saturday or a Tuesday or we don't have to meet that week. I think we can be flexible with it. I think the Lord understands. But you sit there and you look at the risk, and I looked at the risk and I encouraged people who are not in the at-risk categories to come on out to church. I say you got a 0.005% chance of dying. And then we went through all the other chances of dying if we got in the car, if we did these things. And I said, if I die because I came to church, that's a worthy testimony of my life. And it is a possibility. It is absolutely a possibility. If you're elderly and you came here today, there's a much higher risk that you might die from COVID because you came to church. Should you stay home? Well, if you did, I think the Lord would have some understanding and grace for that. However, if you came to church and you were to die, I think that'd be a worthy testimony of your life, that Jesus is so good that I want to go worship him. I want to go sing about him. I'm happy to give my life for him. I'm more than happy to take a risk of whatever small percentage to come and worship the Lord. We have a, we have a, a ridiculously small risk of dying because of our public testimony. Jesus sent Peter out with a 100% risk, 100% chance of death. And he asked Peter to take it. What is he calling the people of God to do? What is he calling us to do? If we want to be near to the Lord, then we have to follow him. And Jesus tells the followers of his followers that they have much more to fear than a small percentage. He says that you're, they're going to kill you. They're going to deliver you over. And I ask that you love me more than your own life.
Verse 23, Jesus tells his disciples some more specifics. I should say verse, uh, where is that? You will not go through the, maybe you haven't gotten there yet. We'll keep going. Verse 34, do not think I've come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. How many of you have experienced the enemy being in your house? I grew up this way. My mother was a believer and my father was not. And we experienced that. Back in the day, it was more common for the family to be Christian, for the nation to be Christian, for the country to be Christian, and the sinner to be kicked out. And people thought that was cruel. How could you kick someone out in your family? Nowadays, it's the exact opposite. The nation is not likely to be Christian. The family is not likely to be Christian. And more people kick out the Christian than not now. It's interesting because in generations gone by, how could you kick that person out for being that way? Nowadays, the sinner goes around and rallies the rest of the family and they kick the Christian out. They say, if you don't accept, if you don't accept this, if you don't accept me, then you're gone, Mom. You're gone, Dad. They never cared about kicking people. They just didn't want, they just, they wanted to kick you out. They didn't really care about the unbeliever. The idea of kicking people out of the family wasn't what offended them. What offended them was that they couldn't kick the Christian out. That's the story of our nation. Back in the day, we had few unbelievers and few Christians, and the middle thought, well, I'm going to go over to the Christian side. Now we have few Christians and few unbelievers, and the middle said, I'm going over to the unbeliever side. And you might have experienced the enemy in your own family. I don't know if we have any more true believers now than we, or any less true believers now than we did generations ago. Where do these people go? Where are they, all these people that said they believed? You might have experienced the enemy in your own household. You might be excluded because you are a Christian. It says a person's enemies will be those of his own household. If you're struggling under that, we want to support you. If you're struggling under that, let me know. We want to pray for you. If there's anything we can do to help you, let me know. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I love my kids. I love my kids. If I love my son or daughter more than the Lord, I've misunderstood who the Lord is. The Lord is more valuable than even my children. He asks me to love him more than they do. If they do something that is ungodly, he asks me to discipline them, guide them, and tell them. If they kick me out of their life because I told them the way to the Lord, he tells me to follow him. God asks us to love him more than anything else in our life, even our idols. And he sends these disciples out to go be hated by their families and they'll be destroyed by unbelievers. He says when they bring you into that situation, he says, don't, this is interesting, don't be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. How many of us are afraid to be a witness for Christ because we don't know what to say? Don't be afraid. Go do it. You'll find the Holy Spirit showing up. The Lord challenges you. It's not that we shouldn't prepare. Prepare. It's not that we shouldn't study. We should study. We should practice. We shouldn't be anxious about it. We shouldn't worry about it. The Lord challenges you. 
Don't be anxious about it. I'll give you the words. If you want your faith to grow, go out and start witnessing the people and watch the Lord give you the words. The interesting thing is that most people I've led to Christ has never been through a straightforward gospel presentation of you're a sinner, Jesus died on the cross, he rose from the grave. Now, you may have led somebody to Christ, that's fantastic. Almost all the time, what happens is I've been reading the Bible and something has come up and I sit there and go, this is exactly about what I read in the Bible and I tell the person what I read in the Bible. It doesn't have to do with sin or salvation. It has to do with this or that or other thing. They say, that's incredible. And we read the Bible and they commit their lives to Jesus Christ. Don't be anxious about what you're going to say. Be in the word, be following him, but don't let that stop you. You will see the Lord show up. For it is not you who speak in verse 20, but the spirit of your father is speaking through you. How many of you doubt if you have the Holy Spirit? Where are you, God? What are you doing? Well, if you want to know if you've got the Holy Spirit, go out and witness and you'll hear him speak through you. That's what the Lord tells us. You'll be hated by all by my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Those who deny me before men, I will deny them before my Father in heaven. Sometimes I worry about whether or not I can give my life for the Lord. I worry about if I've got that kind of love for Jesus. It's not easy. It's not an easy thought. We're reading through the book of Revelations, looking at martyrs. It's incredible, the love of the Lord for these people that love God more than their own lives. In a moment, we're going to watch a video of people who love God more than their own life. It's absolutely inspiring. I pray that the Lord would give me that kind of faith. Because if you don't have that kind of faith, then you're not going to be saved. That's the kind of faith that it takes for salvation. The Lord cares more than just about our actions. He cares about our heart. I don't think it's just the people who are actually put to the test. Right? I don't think it, you have to be actually be put to the test for this to matter. I think it matters in our hearts right now. Do we have that kind of love for the Lord? We have to be willing to give up our lives, but we can run. In verse 23, it says, When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. It's the same kind of idea of shake the dust off of your feet and we've preached the gospel, move on. Keep going. He says you won't go through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. You can keep on. You can keep going. I've been joking around in this Revelations Bible study we're having on Wednesday night. If you're interested in coming and joining us, 6.30 p.m. on Wednesday nights, you can come join us and continue to read about God's judgment and what will happen in the end times before the Lord returns. I don't think we're in the end times, but I think the probability just rapidly increased and I think it's good for Christians to be prepared and think about it. I joked a lot in that Bible study about how if, if any of these signs come to pass, I'll give you a call, I'll post it on Facebook, and I'll be gone. Good luck catching me. You can flee to the next town. You can go spread the gospel to other people. But when it comes down to it, we cannot deny Jesus before men. If we do, then the Father will deny us before him in heaven. He tells the disciples, people will hate you so much when you go out and spread the gospel. When you do things for me, they'll hate you so much, they will call you Beelzebub. If they call the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they hate you? Jesus is referring to Matthew 12, 24, where he does miracles for a bunch of people who are committed to Satan and committed to rejecting God. And they look at Jesus and they say, it's by Satan that you do this. 
The Pharisees said, it's only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. As Jesus goes and frees people from spiritual evil, they say, this guy's got to be demonic as he does these incredible miracles. We're going to do a sermon sometime about the purpose of miracles. The people whose hearts are closed to God don't get any miracles. It doesn't do any good. The Lord has given us all that we need to believe. We don't need a miracle. We have the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we have the testimony of his disciples. A lot of people think, I'd believe. I would believe if God would give you a miracle. No, you wouldn't if your heart isn't open to the Lord. In fact, if your heart isn't open to a Lord, you would just explain a miracle away or you would claim that God himself is Satan, just like the people of the Bible. That's why God doesn't go around doing a bunch of miracles. He's not looking to force those who want to reject him to accept him because he can't win their hearts that way. If he goes around and does miracles, you say, oh, I'd believe if I just got a miracle. No, you wouldn't. You'll believe if you read the word, And open your heart to the Holy Spirit. God has given you all that you need to believe. You don't need a miracle. The people in the Bible who got miracles looked at it and they were so committed to their unbelief, they said that they called God the devil. And Jesus says, if they call me the devil, as I go around and I spread the word of the Lord, how much more will they hate you? And Jesus tells his disciples, as fearful as the idea of giving their life is, there's something we need to fear even more. As frightening as it is, the sword, he tells them, don't fear them. Instead, he says, fear God in heaven, who does the separating. That is intense. As horrible as what Satan can do to us, that pales in comparison to the type of punishment that God has upon Satan and his followers. I will far rather take whatever Satan can throw my way under the protection of God and the Holy Spirit rather than step out of that protection and go jump in with Satan and his followers and see what God can do to me. The Lord is much more powerful than Satan. If we're motivated by fear, and people are, Jesus is not afraid to give you an accurate portrayal. If you're motivated by fear, he is not afraid to give you the truth so you can really see which is more fearsome. God is much more fearsome than Satan. As vicious as Satan is against God's followers, that's nothing compared to how vicious God will be against all evil. He says, don't fear the one who can kill the body. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. The apostle Peter denied Jesus three times. But he was forgiven. We repented. And he spent the rest of his life publicly acknowledging Jesus. If we've had weak faith, praise the Lord that we have time to turn and repent and put our faith in Jesus now. In verse 34, it says, Jesus says, don't think I've come to bring peace to the earth. Of course Jesus came to bring peace to the earth. That is his heart. When he says, don't think that I've come to bring peace to the earth, he's not talking about his heart. He's talking about the practicality of peace coming on earth. It's not coming, guys. My heart is to bring peace. That's why I sent my son. But it's not coming. You know why? Because there are people who are going to reject me. And you need to bring them the gospel, no matter what they do to you. You need to bring them the gospel, whether they're far from you. 
Flee, go from one town to the next. You won't get through all the towns of Israel before I come. Some people think that's the second coming he's referring to. I think it's his resurrection. He sends the disciples out telling them not to go outside of Israel. Don't go to Samaria, but go to Israel first, to the people that I've prepared. Go to them first, and you won't get through that whole town before I come. I think he's talking about his resurrection there. The disciples won't go, won't be able to spread the gospel all throughout Israel before the Lord comes and returns in his resurrection. The same thing would be true for us today if we're going to apply it to the rest of the world. He tells us to go in Matthew 28, 30, go, and we will not uh, finish going through the rest of the world. I should say, uh, he says, as we go and tell the rest of the world, oh man, I'm getting all confused in my Bible verses there. But as we go, when the gospel is preached to all nations, then he will return. Thank you for your grace on that one. And so we're to go, we're to go far, and we're going to the people of our own household. He's come, the practicality, he's come to bring peace, but there's all, he's going to set father against mother, daughter against, he comes that we go, he tells us to go far, he tells us to come near and spread the gospel to all people. And whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You might spread the gospel because you're afraid. You're afraid of the, how your family member is going to react. Think about the dangerous working conditions of the disciples and the people throughout history and the people of this world. And you, in 2022, you might get laughed at. What a blessing. God has not asked us to do anything hard, has he? God has asked us to do something incredibly easy compared to the rest of the world. Praise the Lord. I'm going to take that job, and I'm going to thank God every day. 